Welcome to the 68th episode of the Headkick KO podcast. Today, we are here to discuss UFC 275. It was an absolutely tremendous fight card. I'm excited to talk about it. Once we get done talking about UFC 275, we have, I believe, three fight announcements um, that went public throughout the week. And then after that, we are going to do a quick preview for next week's fight card, which is headlined by Kelvin Cater and Josh Emmett. And this is probably going to be a long episode, so buckle in because there is a lot to talk about. And with that, we are going to start right at the headline of Yuri Prohashka versus Glover Teixeira. Now, if you didn't watch this fight, this fight was an all-time great fight. Um, absolutely tremendous. We saw a lot of w wild things that I wasn't necessarily expecting. We saw some things that I did expect. For example, Yuri landed some really good shots on the feet. He looked a lot like the quicker fighter. He, he, he really hurt Glover pretty badly in a couple scenarios. We saw Glover get some takedowns and wear on Yuri a little bit. Those were some things that we were expecting to see. No surprise there. However, we did see Glover Teixeira almost get a finish in round five. And he landed a lot, a lot of punches there. He jumps to the ghillie. And then Yuri Prohashka gets himself a rear naked choke to walk home with the belt. Uh, chalk those two up as two things I wasn't expecting. Also wasn't expecting this fight to get past round three let alone get to, you know, 30 seconds left in the fight. And I'm I'm really also impressed with Yuri's grappling. I know he got he got taken down a lot, but he also defended a lot of takedown attempts. And when he was on bottom, he never he never just laid there and said, "Well, you got me," you know. Um, from the top position, Glover did a lot of really good work, landed some really good ground and pound. That's what caused the cut on Yuri's eye. But in total, um, Yuri looked good on the ground against such a high-level grappler like Glover Teixeira. And in this fight itself, Yuri really won this fight because of that rear naked choke in round five. Um, credit to him. Because he was able to find that finish. It, he looked to be the fresher fighter in at that point. And I think if Glover is, you know, at 100% cardio-wise, he, he doesn't get finished there. I don't think he gets caught in that. However, he wasn't. And credit to Yuri Prohashka for being the fresher fighter. Despite getting taken down and worn on a little bit. Despite those things. Um, and he caused Glover to get tired with some really good body shots. So it's not like Glover just wore down out of activity. Yuri did a good job of investing in the body shots, which ultimately led to the cardio issues in round five. And they're not major cardio issues, but a thing like that is if that happens in the first round, we probably see Glover stand up before, before Yuri is even underneath the neck. But once again, absolute credit to Yuri Prohaska for wearing... Glover down with the body shots and then finding a finish when he absolutely had to get a finish because he was 
losing that fight. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because he fought so well and had a lot of really good moments in that fight. I believe round three was the round he won, if I'm remembering correctly, and he won that by a wide margin. Um, I think it was round two was pretty 50-50, but it was a Glover to share a lean. And then rounds one and four, I believe it was, went to Glover. Um, memory is a little foggy of that. Um, watching a fight like that, you, you have a hard time remembering what exactly happened when. Because it all just kind of blends together when, when you're just seeing a whole bunch of madness, right? Um, but regardless... Yuri Prohashka, despite being down, going into the fifth round, he was losing that fight going into round five, and that's based off the official scorecards. Despite being down, and despite getting rocked early, he came back and found himself a submission and won that fight. Absolutely tremendous. For Glover Teixeira, I, I love the way Glover fought. He made a couple mistakes, and that happens in fights, but he made some costly ones. He, he probably shouldn't have pulled Guillot guillotine in the fifth round um, just keep pouring on the punches and if you are looking to get it to the ground there I understand why but I'm not sure that the uh, I'm not sure the guillotine was the best option because when you go for that guillotine if you don't get it you are most likely on your back and then that's where the problems came from I don't like being in a dominant position and that dominant position is having your opponent hurt on the feet if you have your opponent hurt on the feet, you are the, you know, you're in, you have the advantage if you have the guy hurt. But then from going from that to being flat on your back is a very bad um, position to position. And I know that Yuri was able to defend the guillotine and that he he's the reason that he was on top because he defended so well. However... He, Glover could have not put himself in that situation. It almost felt like a Hail Mary guillotine attempt when he didn't need a Hail Mary. He was winning by seven points and he threw a Hail Mary and it got interception. It, it, it was intercepted and it got took back the other way is essentially what happened. Um, and, you know, even in that position, Glover could have went for some went for double underhooks and tried to control some position up against the fence if he wanted to end the striking exchanges he could have shot for a single leg takedown there were things that he could have done that uh, i would have rather seen there uh, but at the end of the day for the most part glover fought a tremendous fight however he made a handful of mistakes not even a handful one or two and we saw yuri prohashka capitalize off of those mistakes and there's guys out there who would not have capitalized in those positions right you have to be skilled enough to notice those mistakes your opponent is making in real time and capitalize on them and Yuri did exactly that and that's why he won this fight another major factor here for anyone that did not watch was the speed of Yuri Prohashka Yuri Prohashka is incredibly fast at that light heavyweight division at 205 i'm not sure that there is going to be a faster fighter however um glover isn't exactly the quickest um light heavyweight either so there was a big speed differ differential here um, that, that i think is important to keep in mind if these two ever fight again um i just really think that that is is something to keep your eye on because it will be important 
and at the end of the day, if Glover is faster, um, he wins this fight without a doubt, and it wouldn't have even been close. Um, whether it be with his hands if he was a little bit quicker, or, or whether it be with his head movement and his movement if he was a little bit quicker, he wouldn't have gotten hit so much, things like that. If he was just quicker, he would have won this fight. But once again, um, that's what happens when uh, you are 42 years old. You're not going to be as quick. And I didn't watch Glover in his prime. Well, I guess you could say right now is his prime. But um, when he was a little bit younger, that was before I was into the sport. You know, that was, he's 42. That was 10 years ago. Um, 10 years ago, 7 years ago. You know, I was 10 years old then. So, um, but at, at the time, I don't think Glover was ever the absolute quickest guy at light heavyweight. And I think that kind of hurt him here. But regardless, once again, Yuri Prohashka gets the credit for being the quicker of the two fighters. And in terms of what is next for these guys, I, I re I'm really leaning towards the rematch. I, I don't think it's ever a bad thing when you have an all-time great fight and you decide to run it back, right? That, that Sometimes you get stinkers out of those, but I, I think it is worthy. And considering the scenario, we watched a great fight and we watched Glover control a lot of that fight. And that is still a competitive second fight if these two fight again. I don't think there's a person in the world that will tell you it won't be competitive. And I think a lot of people would be very interested in seeing that fight again. When you look at the opposing, you know, options, you have Jan Blachowicz. But I talked about this a couple weeks ago when he beat Alexander Rakic. It's really tough to give someone a title shot after they get beat in in the fashion he got beat. Did he did did Jan get an immediate rematch against Glover? No. However, he did not look great. Uh, lost the first round and then got finished in the second round. Very different very different scenario in comparison to Glover and Yiri. And then in his fight with Rakic, that was split 1-1 going into round 3 and three rounds of a light heavyweight fight, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, look at the fight we saw last night. You don't know what's going to happen in round five. You don't know what's going to happen in round four, you know? And and I really like Rockets, and I thought he was, I thought he was, I, a lot of people really said that Jan was going to win that fight anyways, but I really liked Rockets going into round three, and, and I liked the spot that he was in. Now, should I rewatch that and justify that considering the fact that I'm on the opposite end of that? I probably should, um, but I haven't rewatched that yet. But once, like I said, I really feel like Rockets was in a good spot going into that third round before he got hurt. Anyways, um, we already talked about that once, but the other big option is obviously Mega Matt Ankalev versus Anthony Smith. I believe Dana White said this week, that that was going to be a number one contenders bout. However, you know, when you see a fight like that, it, it kind of mixes up the landscape of things. You know, when you see an all-time great fight, that'll put a kink in your plans right away. We also haven't seen that Ankalev and Smith fight yet. If Magomed Ankalev goes out there and knocks out Anthony Smith in round one, give him the title shot, right? If Anthony Smith, you know, same for Anthony Smith. I think if one of these guys in Anthony Smith and Megamed Ankalev 
really makes a statement, you can give them the title shot. But right now, I think the path of Yuri Prohoshka versus Glover Teixeira 2 is probably the best option. I really do. And um, once we see that fight, like I said, we'll know more. But right now, Yuri versus Glover is the fight to make. And at the end of the day, these two are going to have to take time off. These two aren't fighting again in three months, right? These two are probably going to fight in six to eight months would be my guess. And you've got time, right? You don't have to make the decision on that one today. You can wait and see the outcome of Ankle Evan Smith. We are not pressured by time on this one. Glover said he's not retiring, right? And I agree with that decision. It is, well, depending on who he fights next. Um, but for the large part, if Glover Teixeira goes back in there and fights for the belt again, I think that makes a level of sense. The one angle that I could see here that would really prevent Glover from getting that shot is considering the fact that Glover lost, what is he going to do if he wins the belt? If Glover Teixeira wins the belt and retires, the UFC is going, oh, come on, because they didn't have to make that fight. They could have made Ankalev or Smith. So you don't want, if you're the UFC, you don't want to see Glover Teixeira beat Yuri Pahashka, the guy that many people think is going to be the future of that division, and then have him walk away. You don't really want to see that. So maybe there'll be some internal talk between the UFC and Glover. Hey, if you win this fight, will you fight again? You know, that would be a very real thing. And I think that is also important in the landscape of this fight. But... Um, like I said, there isn't really much reason to talk in too much in depth about this now, um, because we don't know what happened in Megamed Ankalov versus Anthony Smith. Um, and I, I'm not exactly sure that Jan Blachowicz is the best option. I will say Jan Blachowicz versus Glover Teixeira would make sense if they decide to go Megamed Ankalov versus Anthony Smith. I wouldn't want to see Glover Teixeira really fight anyone else. I don't need to see him fight someone like Alexander Rakic when Rakic is healthy. If Jamal Hill goes out there and beats Tiago Santos, I don't need to see Jamal Hill versus Glover Teixeira, right? There's a lot of fights that I don't really need to see. I don't. We don't need to see Glover Teixeira be a gatekeeper to the belt is basically what I'm saying. Um, but a fight with Jan Blachowicz makes a level of sense, so I wouldn't hate that fight. But if it's not Jan Blachowicz, and if it's not a title shot, I think Glover should retire. Um, I just, you know, you got the belt. I'm not sure there's much left for you to do in this sport. You did the thing you wanted to do. You can get out, right? Um, well, you're still in a good spot. And, and we'll talk a little bit about that more because Joanna did retire. So um, I'll talk a little bit about my opinion on her retirement as well. Um, it's all positive, right? I don't have a negative opinion about her retirement. The way I phrased that didn't sound great. Um, but, you know, you'll kind of get my opinion on a retirement a little bit more um, when it comes time to talk about Joanna. Now, uh, let's move on. And we talked about that fight for 15 minutes, and we still have quite a bit to talk about. So, Valentina Shevchenko versus Tyler Santos. Uh, there's a lot to talk about in this one as well. Um, at the end of the day, I... I okay. If you have watched this podcast before, I have been very open about saying, hey, if it's a close fight, I don't care. I'm not going to sit here and complain about judging if it's a close fight. It can go either way. That's judging. 
I have taken that stance for so long. I, I mean, probably a year I've been on that stance. And I, and I moved away from it a little bit when Holly Holm lost to Catlin Vieta. And uh, I'm moving away from it even further with this one. I really do believe that Tyler Santos won this fight. I do not think Valentina Shevchenko won that fight. And a lot of people point to damage. And they say, well, Valentina Shevchenko was doing more damage. Yeah, she was in the fourth and fifth round. That's why she won the fourth and fifth round. I mean, the broken orbital of Tyler Santos came off the back of an accidental headbutt. You don't get credit for an accidental headbutt. It's it's just you shouldn't get credit for that damage. If you kick someone in the nuts and then their gas tank goes out the window, you don't get credit for damage for that. It's just not the way the sport works. And if you're looking at rounds one, two, and three, those are the three rounds that are really the, I don't want to say swing rounds because Santos clearly won some of those rounds, but those are the rounds that you need to make a case for for Tyler Santos winning because those are the rounds, you know, she didn't did not win rounds four or five. Um, but if you look at round one, you know what, we can really group a lot of these rounds in together because they're very similar rounds. Did Tyler Santos do a bunch of work from the top, right? Did she cause a bunch of damage from the top? No, she didn't cause a bunch of damage, but I would argue that Valentina Shevchenko did not do as much damage either. I mean, Valentina Shevchenko was not very active. And and we have to ask our did okay. Did Valentina Shevchenko win the striking exchanges when they were on the feet? Yes. But Tyler Santos won every single grappling exchange in those rounds. Well, I shouldn't say every single, but she won the majority of those grappling exchanges. And you have to you have to value you have to have value in holding your opponent down for two minutes or three minutes. And that's just, that's, I mean, that's my opinion, especially when you look at Valentina was not doing a, a ridiculous amount of damage in those early rounds. Did she do damage? Yes. I, but I feel like the majority of her damage came in rounds four and rounds five. And once again, I said the same thing with, with uh, Katlin Vieira, and I'm saying the same thing now for Valentina Shevchenko. You can, you just cannot let your opponent control you in that fashion, right? You absolutely cannot let someone hold you against the fence for three minutes. Um, in Shevchenko's case, you absolutely cannot let someone hold you down and get to your back for a significant amount of time. You just can't do that. And I feel like the judging, I feel, okay, I feel like judging, you know, a lot of things, it's a very common analogy that, that the pendulum swings in each direction and then it somehow it, it'll balance in the middle. In the middle. For a very long time, we saw people get rewarded for takedowns that they didn't really do much with or takedowns that weren't that impactful. And we saw them being overvalued for a long period of time. And now it has swung in the opposite direction where judges are giving almost no value to a takedown. And a lot of people really really defend that just because they don't like grappling they want to see people stand and strike so when the judges stop rewarding grappling they're a-okay with that because they don't like grappling and at some point we're going to find a sweet spot in the middle where 
we stop seeing the grappling get undervalued because right now I feel like it's being undervalued. Um, do I think you should always win a round if you have two to three minutes of ground control? Absolutely not, right? I'm not saying that you should always win a round with two to three minutes of ground control. Don't get that confused as to what I'm saying. What I'm saying is Valentina did not, you know, do incredible amounts of damage in the other periods during those first three rounds, right? Valentina, it's not like she, you know, kicked Santos in the head, had Santos do the chicken dance, and then Santos got a takedown and had three minutes of ground control. That's not what happened. Um, the, the, the striking exchanges were a lot more competitive, and I think if Valentina Shevchenko would have thrown more, it wouldn't even be a discussion. She was being very effective with her strikes. She was landing at a high clip, at a high percentage. And the strikes that she were landing was doing damage, but I don't think she landed enough. Um, I, I think she relied a little bit too much on the counter-striking. Um, I, I love counter-striking. It's great to have that in the bag. But you cannot just stand there and go, okay, I'm going to counter-strike you. That's what happened in Israel Adesanya and Yoel Romero. As he said, all right, Yoel, I'm going to counter-strike you. And then Yoel was like, you're not going to counter-strike me. I'll just stand here. So, and Santos isn't a high-output fighter herself, right? So, a little bit of blame does fall on Santos for not exchanging early in those positions either. Because if Santos could have found an advantage on the feet and then taken her down, we wouldn't have had this discussion. But when you're looking at that fight, Santos had Valentina in some very bad positions. It's not like she was sitting in full guard for the entirety of the time. I know there were times where she spent a lot of time in full guard not really landing a lot. But there's also times in those rounds where she's got Valentina in a deep, deep rear naked choke. There were times in that fight I was very worried about Valentina getting finished. If I am watching a fight, visibly... If I'm watching a fight and I get concerned that a fighter is about to get finished, if I'm sitting on my couch going, oh my God, Talia Santos is going to win. Oh my God, oh my God, what's happening? Oh my God, Talia Santos is going to choke her out. I can't believe this. Holy crap. If I'm doing that, that should be rewarded on the judge's scorecard. If you are, I, I know people say that, you know, it's a failed submission attempt if you don't get it. But I still think you should credit the submission you know, it's not like you're. It's not like Glover Teixeira jumping guillotine and ending up on his back. Talia Santos has hooks in. She's in a back, but she's got valent. She's you know she's backpacked, and she is absolutely just nearly getting a finish repeatedly. Now, this what I've just this rant I just went on. Um, I have once again I haven't rewatched the fight yet. Um, once I rewatched the fight, my opinion may change, but as of right now, I, I really believe that Talia Santos won that fight. And additionally, this is coming from someone who is a Valentina fan. I like Valentina. I love watching Valentina fight, right? I have nothing against Valentina. It's not like I dislike Valentina and I'm sitting here going, oh my God, I hate Valentina. I hope Santos knocks her out. No, I have done nothing but give Valentina Shevchenko her flowers up to this episode. I've always spoke highly of Valentina. I think she's an incredible fighter. But at the same time, you can be an incredible fighter and lose a fight. I mean, George St. Pierre is the best fighter of all time, and he probably should have lost that fight to Johnny Hendricks, right? Now, 
I'm not any lower on Valentina after this. Right? If you're just looking at that division and you go, okay, who's going to be able to repeat that type of grappling success against Valentina Shevchenko? Is it going to be out of the fighters she hasn't fought, right? Lauren Murphy wasn't able to do it. Jessica Andrade wasn't able to do it. Caitlin Chikagian, that's not her style of fight. Jennifer Maya won one round doing it. Um, but is it going to be Alexa Grasso? Is she going to be the one to do it? Is Manon Fior going to be the one to do it? You know, I don't really see anyone in this division still that has a, has a better chance at beating Shevchenko than Tyler Santos. Um, now, um, in terms of what is next for both of these women, I think we need a rematch. Not only, even if you believe wholeheartedly that Valentina won that fight, I'm not going to argue with you on that standpoint. But what I will say is that regardless, that has been the most competitive Valentina Shevchenko fight that we've seen since probably her fights against Amanda Nunes, right? We haven't seen a fighter be more competitive than Tyler Santos. And what do you want to do, right? Do Do you want... Do you want to just have this one tossed to the side and, and have Valentina beat the absolute crap again of out of someone who isn't good enough to beat her? Or would you rather just see her in there again with someone who we know is going to make it a fight? Talia Santos proved that she can make this a fight. Now, um, the alternative option would be Valentina Shevchenko going up to 135 pounds to take on Julia Pena if Pena beats Amanda Nunes. I'm no longer that high on that, right? The, the, the thing that makes being a double champ so special is that you are so dominant in one weight class that you had to jump to the next to find competition. That's what makes it so special. Um... We found the competition. Go out there and knock the. Go out there and and firmly beat the competition. And I think from a promotional standpoint and a hype standpoint, it makes more sense to go out there and do those things after an incredible performance. Right when you look at Conor McGregor going up up to fight Eddie Alvarez, he did it after his fights with Nate Diaz. Right. When you look at Israel Adesanya going up to fight Jan Blachowicz, that fight was probably the least hyped up double champ fight that we've had in the history of double champs. Um, well, at least on the men's side. I don't, I don't exactly know in terms of Amanda and some of her, her fights, but um, I'd have to look back at the, the resumes and, and figure out who exactly she beat when. But um, I believe it was Cyborg, so that was probably more hyped. But regardless, Israel Adesanya going up to fight Jan Blachowicz, that fight was not all that hyped up. That fight was, I mean, fans loved it, right? I loved it. You know, my MMA fans, my or my MMA friend, my friends that are MMA fans, good Lord, had a tough time getting that sentence out. But my friends that are MMA fans loved that fight. The hardcore fans loved that fight. But when you have a double champ, if you're going up for a second belt, it, it needs to be a big spectacle, right? Don't ju- it's, it's not a toss-away thing. It's history. So, you know, it, it, it's just in my opinion, 
Valentina go out there and have a spectacular performance against somebody and then go to 135. It's the same reason that I said Francis Ngannou needs to knock somebody out before he goes to box, right? You don't want to go to box somebody after you out-wrestle somebody and get a decision win. And that's just my opinion on that. Um, now, on a more positive note, we have Weili Zhang versus Joanna Jonjacek. Um, this was also a very incredible fight while it lasted. Um, this is one, this, you know, it was an all-time great fight the first time. The second fight was going tremendous. And then Weili Zhang lands a spinning back fist that puts Joanna out. And an absolute tremendous knockout by Weili Zhang. And she is definitely going to fight for the belt next. I don't think there's any doubt of that right now because it's not going back to Rose. You know, do you give it to Marina Rodriguez? I think you could make a case for that, but ultimately, I think off the back of a spinning back fist knockout of Yuani Yunjaychik, you prove to a lot of people that, hey, I'm really, really good. And as far as Wei Li's career goes, you can make a case she won that second fight against Rose. Um, that's one of those where I'm a little bit, uh, a little bit on the side of you can score it either way, but you can make a case for Wei Li beating Rose. Um, I think I scored it a tie the first time. Um, I don't really remember. I believe I scored it a tie. I think I gave someone a 10, eight. I'd have to rewatch it. Um, I'm not as high on giving people 10, eights anymore for, for like three months. I was very high on 10, eight rounds and then I kind of wore off them, but um, I think Whaley's in a great spot in her career. When she was the champion, I was under the assumption that she was going to be the champion for a very long time in that weight class. I love the skills that she has. Her striking, her power, her physical strength, her speed, her grappling. She's a very complete fighter. And sometimes we see fighters who are very well-rounded, but don't excel in any certain area. Um, however... Whaley is one of the fighters that does excel on the feet, but also has a very, very deep bag of grappling that she can go to when needed. Um, and I really think that she's going to absolutely demolish Carla Esparza. Um, I don't imagine, with, with Whaley's wrestling, I don't imagine that she's afraid of getting taken down, and I think Carla will have a hard time taking her down. I think that Whaley is going to be physically strong enough that uh, that that will be in her advantage when she's defending takedowns and I think Carla will have a much harder time defending those takedowns and I think Wei Li will be able to land some powerful shots and put Carla out um, that's my opinion right now but I am very high on Wei Li and her future um, for Ioana, um she no longer has a future in this sport in terms of fighting but that is okay because she had a tremendous career um, I, I love Ioana Jacek. She is probably one of my favorite female fighters. She had a tremendous career. Um, she is a pioneer of women's MMA. She is one of the best strikers of all time. Um, I can go on and on singing Ioana Jacek's praises. She has done so much for this sport, whether it be, I believe she had six title defenses, and Valentina just broke the record. And I think Valentina has eight or seven or eight now. So, and she broke Rousey's record. So, 
Joanna Jojic is third or fourth all-time in female title defenses. Joanna Jojic had an absolutely tremendous career, and I think she picked a great time to go out because what's the point, right? You were the champion. You defended it. I know you want that belt back. Of course she wants to be the champion. You can ask anybody, hey, do you want to be the champion? They're going to say yes. But realistically, after you lose to Wei Li for the second time, that match is kind of out now, right? She's got the history with Rose where I imagine they could have booked that fight. But, you know, I think I, I think she was put in a really good position, right? Ioana was put in a position where if I win, I get to fight for the belt. If I lose, I, I have to make that climb back up again. It's not going to be a far climb, but... The UFC is only going to go so far continuously giving these veterans these opportunities, right, in that weight class. There are a lot of very talented women that look very good, whether it be Marina Rodriguez or Mackenzie Dern. That division is the strongest female division probably, and there's no reason to continuously go out there and really – just get stuck in that rut of being ranked, you know, the number one contender to the number, you know, four fighter in the world. She can continue to fight and she can continue to beat people, but you've completed your goal and you're 35 and you have what sounds to be a lot of opportunities outside of the sport. Go explore those opportunities. There's no reason to stay in the octagon longer than needed. Would I love to watch Ioana Jacek fight again? Of course I would. Of course I'd love to see her fight Rhodes. I'd love that fight. Um, would I like to see her fight Marina Rodriguez? Yes, that'd be a great fight. But there's no reason to at this point. So I, I really agree with her decision to retire. I, I don't like fighters staying in the sport too long and seeing them really go on a slide. Right? She's only 35. She's probably got two, three more years left of very solid competition. But there's no reason to go through that. She's getting out at a good time. Um, it's better to get out too early than to get out too late. So shout out to Ro or shout out to I almost said Rose Namunas. Shout out to Ioana Jonjejic for an absolutely incredible career. Um, she will be missed. In uh, it sounds like sounds like she's going to stick around in the sport and, and be involved, but just not fight. So we, this won't be the last time it, we see Ioana Jonjejic. You know, she's not going to disappear. She will be around, it sounds like. She just won't be in the octagon. Um, moving on, we're going to try and speed this up. We uh, we went, we talked a lot about those first three fights. We're going to try and get this sped up. Jake Matthews versus Andre Fialo. I was very high on Fialo. I think Fialo is a tremendous fighter. And Jake Matthews went out there and absolutely beat him up, right? It wasn't very competitive. Jake Matthews looked tremendous. I, I can't say enough good things about Jake Matthews. Um, his hands, his hand speed, his accuracy, his poise. That is the definition of a fighter just flowing, right? Jake Matthews was on point. That's just what happened. When he, 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 if he wasn't fighting Andre Fialo, he gets a first round knockout, right? He got the second round knockout. Incredible. But he's fighting a dude with a brick for a chin, and he had him stunned several times, and he eventually gets a spectacular knockout. 
I cannot say enough good things about Jake Matthews. I am so excited for what he can do in the future. When you look at what he's done um, as of late, right? As of late, he, he we obviously know he got that win over Andre Fialo. Um, prior to that, he lost to Sean Brady. Sean Brady is someone that I and most people are very high on. There's no harm in losing to Sean Brady. It happens. It's a sport. From there, um, his win against Diego Sanchez, he looks very good in that fight as well. Um, I'm excited to see what Jake Matthews can do. I say you give him ranked competition. I, I, I mean, he looked good enough to where, yeah, you could make the case. He's, he should fight someone that's unranked, and he really needs one more before he fights a, a ranked competitor again. But throw that out the window. He looked too good to play around and, and continue to fight unranked guys. He looked good enough to fight ranked guys. Give him a ranked guy. Um, right now, you have Shavkat Rachmanov at 15. I, he is booked to fight Neil Magny. Um, Michelle Pajeda, they... Mm, ooh, Jake Matthews versus Michelle Pajeda. Sounds like some fun. Um, I imagine they're going to give Pajeda someone ahead of him in the rankings. I don't think Pajeda is going to fight someone who's unranked. But uh, that fight sounds like a lot of fun. Jeff Neal. Jeff Neal's another really good entry to those rankings. Um, so Pajeda and Jeff Neal, two fights I'd like to see for Jake Matthews. Jack Delamata he went out there against Razam Emiv, and the question was, can he get a can he stop a takedown? He stopped some takedowns, and Land did one shot directly on the liver. Puts out Razam Emiv, and... In all honesty, Jake Matthews probably could have got it done a little bit earlier, a little bit sooner. He missed on some counter shots that came from, he throws quick, he throws hard, he throws accurate, and he just missed on a couple of shots that would have put Emeve out um, violently, I believe. Um, but he got that, he still got the knockout in round one. Um, very high on Jack Delamata Um He answered some questions about some takedown defense, and you know, there are still some questions about Jack Delamata Lillena. I'm not saying he's, you know, a future world champion yet. Um, he's still got a handful of questions to answer. But um, Jack Delamata Lillena is going to be in the sport for a while. I'm very high on him. I'm excited to see what he can continue to do. I imagine we see a slight step up in competition, but we won't see him facing anyone too tremendous, I believe. Now, Josh Joshua Kulabau it was, versus Sang Wu Choi. This was a tremendous fight. Um, this wins fight of the night in a lot of, on a lot of cards. But they, you know, when you're on the same card as Glover Teixeira and Yuri Prohashka, you lose your $50,000, unfortunately, for these two. But they absolutely went to war. Credit to both of them. Joshua Kalabau landed a lot of shots that would have put a lot of fighters out. Zheng Wu Choi has one, one. He's got a ridiculous chin on him, right? The chin on that guy is ridiculous. His not only is well, maybe it's not his chin. Maybe it's more recovery. Um, that might be a better way to put it. He was getting rocked by some massive shots, and then 30 seconds later, he, he every time Choi got hurt, he would just throw 150 hooks right back at him, right? He'd just throw relentless shots right back at him. So, um, great fight by Joshua Kulabau, 
and Sheng Wo Choi is an absolute warrior. Now, um, the next fight that we're going to talk about is Machate and Steve Garcia. Um, if you didn't see the highlights of what happened in this fight, go watch it. Machate landed a short counter hook, right? It wasn't, he didn't extend super far like this. You know, it, it wasn't, it was a real short, real short counter hook. And he absolutely put the light out on Steve Garcia. There isn't much more to say. Um, you know, I don't really know if Machate is, is going to be an elite fighter at lightweight, but I do know that he has knockout power, and I will be interested in seeing him fight. And you want to know who he should fight? I, I'm not exactly sure that these two are in the same position in the rankings, right? And I know the guy I'm about to say has a fight booked, but Terrence McKinney versus this dude would be absolutely tremendous. Um, I'm not sure that it's going to happen, but that would be a fun fight that I would love to see. Um, quick wrap-up on the last four. Brendan Allen got a very close decision victory. Could you have scored it for Jacob Malkoon? Yes, but um, that one's a little bit one of those where I'm like, hey, I don't really. I'm not going to argue over the judging on this one. I don't really feel strongly either way. Brendan Allen, I feel like he underuses his striking a little bit. I think he's a better striker than he displays. He's got some really strong tools. Um, Jacob Malkoon is a very good grappler. That one could have went either way. Um, very close fight. Kong Ho Kang versus Bantagrel Dan. Um, another very, very close fight. I was very surprised by how Ho Kang fought. Um, I did. I was really... That was one of the fights I was a little bit more confident in that um, Dana was going to get a win. I liked some of his UFC experience. I thought he looked good in some previous fights. But um, Ho Kang um, really put it to him. So, shout out there. Silvana Gomez Suarez absolutely baptized Na Liang. Um, did not see that coming at all. However, it was tremendous to see. Jocelyn Edwards versus Ramona Pasquale. I'll be honest, this was the only fight I did not watch. The TV was not on yet. This is one of those where I look and I go, oh crap, it's the early prelims are starting right now. And then, and then you uh, get the TV loaded up and then you're like, oh, I missed the first fight. So, I'm not even going to bother to talk about it. I'm, I missed the first fight. My bad. Sue me. Um, now, let's quickly go through our fight announcements because I'm going to try and keep this episode short. I don't want it to go too long. First off, we had Askar Askarov versus Alex Perez was originally booked for July 15th. That fight got canceled. Askar Askarov had to pull out for some reason. Um, so that leaves Alex Perez needing an opponent. Alexandre Pantoja stepped in, and they will now be fighting on July 30th. For Alex Perez, he's really, you know, he really got lucky on this one. Fighting Askar Askarov is a great opportunity to move yourself up in the sport. Um, fighting Alexandre Pantoja may be even better. He's got a win over Moreno, and a lot of people think really highly of him. A lot of people think he should be getting a title shot. Um, I'm not going to argue with any of those people because Pantoja is a tremendous fighter. So Alex Perez probably getting a little bit of a bump from accepting this or this fight, getting fallen out, and, and this being the new fight. 
we have an August 13th headliner in San Diego. You probably saw this one. Chito Vera versus Dominic Cruz. I was surprised they booked this fight, but you won't hear any complaints from me. I thought they were going to go a little bit different direction for both guys. I thought we were going to see like a, a Marlon Vera versus Corey Sandhagen or a, a Vera versus, you know, someone else a little bit higher ranked. But um, I thought we were going to see like a Dominic Cruz or, or in a Rob Font or, or something like that. But um, it makes sense. I'm not saying it doesn't make sense. I, I just didn't think I, I wasn't anticipating that this was the fight they were going to make. But when you look at it and think, OK, does this make sense? Yeah, it, it makes sense. Um, poor, poor Corey Sandhagen. Sandhagen was um, in line to fight either of these guys. And I believe now he may be fighting Marab. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but um, if I were Corey Sandhagen and I was looking at the rankings, Marab might be the last guy I wanted to fight. You know, he lost to his teammate, Aljamain Sterling. Um, Marab's probably the best grappler or second best grappler um, with Aljamain Sterling in this division. So that's a very, very bad stylistic matchup for Sanhagen. So poor Corey Sanhagen. And the last fight, if you watch the pay-per-view, you probably saw this. Kamara Usman will be fighting Leon Edwards on August 20th. We all knew this was the fight. The question was, when are these two going to fight? We got our answer. It is August 20th. And let me see if I can... And I just Googled this to see if the location was available, right? Uh, I did not know where this was taking place. This will be UFC 278. I did not know where this was taking place. And apparently it's taking place in Salt Lake City. Now, if you would have said, hey, James, take guesses for where UFC 278 will take place. And you told me these two would be the main event. If you said, hey, James, guess, see what you can do. I would have probably guessed at least 100 other cities in the world before Salt Lake, Utah. I would have probably guessed random cities in Europe before I guessed Salt Lake, Utah. I could probably name at least 15, 20 maybe 25 cities in America that I would have guessed before Salt Lake City. Um, I'm quite surprised that there will be a UFC event in Salt Lake City, and it's going to be a pay-per-view. I am befuddled, I am flabbergasted, and I am confused. Um, I hope Salt Lake City has a tremendous crowd for this tremendous main event. But um, I'm quite surprised. And if you are from Salt Lake City, Utah, um, I hope you are offended by what I just said um, because there is no reason to have a UFC pay-per-view in, in Salt Lake. So that is my opinion on that. I will speak of it not again. However, one more thing. Paulo Costa versus Luke Rockhold is also on that card. So 
Right now, we have two of the five fights that are going to be on the main card, it looks like, and it is already looking good. So, um, if they can get another championship fight on there, that may be asking a little bit too much, but if we can get a couple more ranked fights on there, ooh, whew, that card could be a good one for you, Salt Lake. Wouldn't it be such a crazy thing if we had one of the best pay-per-views of all time and it took place in Salt Lake, Utah? That'd be actually ridiculous. Based off what we saw last night, I'm not sure anything will surprise me anymore, but um, that would be shocking. All right, let's stop Barry and Salt Lake, and let's talk about next week's fight card, which is headlined by Calvin Cater versus Josh Emmett. This is an absolutely tremendous fight. I really believe this can be the fight of the year. Now, can I be wrong? I absolutely can be wrong. I was wrong a lot in my UFC 275 preview video, if you watched that. Um, but I really like this fight. From a stylistic matchup, I, I think these two are going to go in there and just absolutely throw bombs. I really do. I I'm very excited for this one. And in terms of a prediction, uh, I'm pretty 50-50. I think this is, if, if you were to look at the betting lines, I don't know what they are. But I imagine it's, you know... Very, very, very even. And if it's not, it should be. I can see this fight going either way. Um, but I will say this. Against Calvin Cater, or excuse me, against Giga Chikatsi, I counted Calvin Cater out. And I said Giga was going to beat him. I was very wrong. And I will not be counting Calvin Cater out two times in a row. I made my mistake once. I am not going to do it twice Give me Calvin Cater in this one. We have a very good co-main with Donald Cerrone and Joe Lozon. And you know what? If you haven't looked at this card yet, this is a tremendous fight night card. One of the deeper fight night cards we've had in a while. Not a lot of, of ranked fighters. I think there's only two in this main event. Um, but there are a lot, a lot, a lot of big names, guys you know, name value, um, interesting fights. I, I, I think a lot of people will enjoy this fight card. Um... As far as Donald Cerrone and Joe Lozon, this fight was supposed to happen a couple months ago. It, it fell through. Um, Cerrone got sick and, and during a weight cut, I believe it was, or after weigh-ins, or however that happened. I don't exactly remember, but um, I'm not particularly high on Donald Cerrone. He's burnt me in the past on in terms of predictions, so I'm going to go with... Don, or I'm going to go with Joe Lozon. I'm not really heavily swayed in either direction here. Um, Kevin Hollins versus Tim Means is an example of some tremendous matchmaking. If you're trying to book Kevin Holland, Tim Means is a great opponent for Kevin Holland. Um, I really like Kevin Holland. I think the move down to 170 makes a lot of sense, and he looked good against Cowboy Oliveira. Now, can Kevin Holland go out there and lose this fight? He can. Um, but I, I really like Kevin Holland, and I think he gets it done against Tim Means. I also think very highly of Tim Means. He's a veteran of the sport and a very tough guy. It's not going to be easy for Kevin Holland, but um, I think he gets it done. Joaquin Buckley versus Albert Durav. And a little fun fact of the day. Um, we've gone off the rails a couple times on this podcast, so we might as well lean into it for this episode. Albert Durav, if you go to his Tapology page, 
Well, if you go to anyone's Step Allergy page, most people's Step Allergy page is like a, a stock UFC photo, um, or it'll be like a a picture from a fight, or, or them at, at a training camp or something like that. But if you look at Albert Durav's, it is him standing with sunglasses and a suit on next to a Mercedes. So um, that's your fun fact of the day. You probably don't care, but I told you anyways. Um, but I'll take Joaquin Buckley in this fight. He, he seems to have turned it around a little bit since he lost to Alessio DiCirio. Um, I don't know how to say his name, so I just call him Alessio DiCirio. I don't exactly like that guy. Anyways, um, Joaquin Buckley versus Albert Durov. Like I said, give me Joaquin Buckley. He's getting he's getting things on the right track, and I think he has some potential. I, I don't want to say he has a lot, but he is a very powerful guy that has a lot of power in his hands, and I think that will come in handy here. But his his opponent is a pretty good grappler, um, so I could see Buckley losing this fight very easily, either by submission or or by decision. Um, but apparently nowadays, if you get taken down and controlled the whole round, if you land like four good strikes strikes on the feet, you you win the round. So that should help Buckley in this one. Uh, moving on, we have Goran Kutelaba. He's fighting Desmir Eze Magulov. Um, two really good guys. 20, 23 and 1 and 12 and 2 are the records. Both guys have wins over notable competition. Um, if you're looking at Demir Izmogulov, he has wins against Rafael Elvis, Tiago Moises, and Joel Alvarez. If you're looking at Garam Kutelatse, um, he has a win over Matush Gamrat. Um, those are all some really good wins. I think the best fighter out of that bunch may be Matush Gamrat, so I am going to pick Garam Kutelatse. Um, Julian Marquez versus Gregory Rodriguez. I really like Gregory or Julian Marquez in this fight. Um, Gregory Rodriguez is good, not great. And I, I really like a lot of the tools that Julian Marquez has. He has impressed me in some of his most recent performances. I will go with Julian Marquez in this one. Um, Adrian Yanez versus Tony Kelly. Um, no surprise here. I'll take Adrian Yanez by KO. Tony Kelly um, recently said some not great things about Brazilians. And in terms of UFC fighting, it's, you know, sometimes when you say things about Brazilians, you have a good chance of going out in there and winning your next fight for some reason. We've seen a lot of people say some very bad things about Brazilians and then perform well. Um, hopefully in this one, Adrian Yanez uh, turns that ship around and goes out there and uh, stops Tony Kelly and does so uh, very early. I really like Adrian Yanez too. So um, I, I, I think very highly of his skills. I'm not just spite picking Adrian Yanez. I actually think he is the more talented fighter, and I think he will get it done here. Jeremiah Wells versus Court McGee. I'm also very high on Jeremiah Wells. Um, Court McGee has some losses, but his losses are to a lot of really tough competition. He has 10 losses, but when you look at his losses there to Carlos Condit, Sean Brady, Diego, Le Diego Lima, uh, Sean Strickland, Ben Saunders, Santiago Ponzinibbio, and then some guys that you don't know, Costas, Costas Philippou. Um, if you don't know who that is, um, Michael Bisming once made fun of him, called him Costa Philippou. Um, shout out Michael Bisming. And we are once again getting off the tracks on this one. Lost to Jeremy Horn. 
on the regional scene. Wow, he has been fighting good guys for a long time. Um, I'll take Jeremiah Wells. I don't like betting against Jeremiah Wells. It uh, got me pretty bad against Warley Alvarez, and he looked pretty good against Blood Diamond. I think he's powerful on the feet, and I think he is a good grappler as well. Give me Jeremiah Wells. Um, skipping around a little bit to what I think the bout order may be a lo- look like a little bit more. Um, Cody Stammen versus Eddie Wineland. Um, give me Cody Stammen. I-, I-, I can't believe they booked this fight. I think Cody Stammen is a high-level fighter. I just think he's ran into some really, really tough competition, and I'm not going to hold that against him. Losses to Saeed Nurmagomedov, Marab, and Jimmy Rivera, and Aljamain Sterling. Those are his four most recent losses and his only four losses in the UFC. I mean, come on. What do you, what, uh, the poor guy can't get a break. Um, it looks like he's getting a break here against Eddie Wineland. I'll take him to beat Eddie Wineland. Kaldowskis versus Roman Dielice. Very, very, very close fight. I like this fight. Eileen Kaldowskis. Um, I can't believe he calls himself the Darce Knight. Um, that is Tony Ferguson. Um, so actually, I'm going to I'm gonna fight pick Roman Dolice in this one. Don't call yourself the Darce Knight. That is Tony Ferguson. Give me Roman. Um, Phil Hawes versus Duran Wynn. Also a very good fight. I'm leaning Phil Hawes. And we are going to go through the rest of these quick because this episode is long. Give me, very quick here, Jasmine Justaviscus against Natalia Silva. Give me Maria Oliveira against Gloria De Paula, and give me Danny Chavez against Ricardo Ramos. And that's a wrap. If you made it this far, I can't believe it. We went on several rants, several tangents, got off topic several times. If you made it, shout out to you. If you didn't, you're not here, so I'm not even going to address you. Um, but either way, if you want to hear me next week talk about next week's fight card, um, I'll be back doing that next week. Um, if not, oh well. Um, but either way, thank you for listening to this episode of the Head Kick KO Podcast, and goodbye.